What's up, folks? So, this is going to be like a quick little, you know, bonus episode or whatever. Probably just like a 15-minute rant here from me. Just because I'm sitting on my lunch on, you know, at work and having a little bowl to myself. And I, uh, you know... I don't really know how to get this started because I'm kind of just ranting or whatever, but fine. Um, I just... I've been spending a lot of time on left book, right? Like we're all on social media. Uh, A lot of us are in leftist spheres on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, I'm in, you know, discords with other leftists. I'm, you know, texting and messaging with other leftists and stuff like that. But like in my day-to-day life, I have very little conversation and like, you know, person-to-person conversation and, you know, zero practice or, or, you know, action that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis because, I mean, I work, I work at a smoke shop, right? I work at just a random smoke shop in the middle of New York. Um, I work nine to like six on most days, so it takes up like my entire day. And then on top of that, I mean, usually by the time I get home anyways, like, I gotta do the stuff that I normally would do during the day, but because I have to have some job in order to, you know, pay my bills, I gotta go sell cigarettes to people all day so that they can, you know, whatever. And it just, you know, it takes away from any action or any ability for me to organize in any kind of meaningful way, it seems like, sometimes. Um, I've spent a lot of my, you know, free time organizing with Leftist Unification Party, which has been awesome and really has been, like, some genuine experience to this point. Um, But ultimately, you know, with COVID and because of just our, you know, beginning stage of organization, it's not like we're out in the street with three, four million people behind us, like, marching and protesting and stuff, right? We y'all got to start from somewhere. But the point that I'm trying to make is just that as it stands, I've been, you know, absorbing a lot of theory. I've been reading a lot of books. I've been reading a lot of articles. I've been writing a lot of blogs and articles myself. I've been recording podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts. I've been, you know, watching YouTube videos, basically just constantly uh, engulfing this information, right? And like reminding myself and educating myself about the world as it is and and why these things need to change so that given the opportunity i have as much of the skill set as i need in order to you know help someone or 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 you know organize or whatever um the situation may be you know i feel like i want to be as educated as possible before i get to that point But on top of that, I mean, if you're, I I know some of us, that last episode I did do, you know, the tendencies really matter. That might have been a a touchy subject for some, but I myself am a a Marxist. Um, I also call myself a Maoist sometimes, Uh, but I especially subscribe to uh, revolutionary communist. Um, And there are a lot of folks who, you know, maybe don't feel that theory is necessary, maybe don't feel that those tendency, you know, uh, tendencies mean anything. It's all just one 
thing, right? There's some folks who believe that like the more specific we get, the more we're working away from our goals. So we should all just come together and work to make things better, right? And I think that a lot of times that sentiment goes a long way. Um, and it does a real good job to get people together, to get people, you know, angry, to get people wanting to do stuff. But something that I found in, in my reading, you know, because I, I also, growing up, wanted to be a history teacher. So to this point, I have, you know, quite a bit of uh, history in my belt or on, on my belt, under my belt, under my belt, uh, definitely under my belt. <laughs> um, whatever the expression is, I have read a lot of history, right? To this point before even becoming radicalized. And then as I started to grow and, and move further and further towards the left, you know, theory became more of a, a point of, you know, am I going to read this? Am I not? Um, for a long time, I was in the camp that believed like, oh, it's just a bunch of old dead white guys who gives a shit, right? And there's certainly still people who believe that. But first and foremost, I mean, old dead white guys, yeah, if you're reading specifically Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, but of all the Marxists and, and you know, f folks who have written theory, there's uh, Central and South America, there's there's Asia, there's Africa, like that sentiment is far more ignorant than, you know, a lot of the things that folks accuse Marx and Engels of, of saying, um, although that is another case that people will make is that like, okay, well, you know, Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, the founders of Marxism, right, they believe some pretty racist stuff, they believe some pretty sexist stuff. And like, you can't, you can't really deny that. Like, if you look at Marx and Engels writings, like, they said some pretty not so savory shit. And I'm not even talking about specifically the, the context of like, on the Jewish question that Marx wrote, or like some of the not so savory descriptors of, you know, fellow revolutionary women that that Engels subscribed to. But if you look at their letters between people and other revolutionaries, like, they held some not-so-great, you know, b beliefs, right? And I think that to deny this as being ahistorical, but to also claim that this means that, okay, these people who had some not-so, you know, some pretty awful beliefs in some cases, you know, everything that they ever said or did, we should toss aside because they lived in a time where saying and believing those things was accepted. No, if, if we're truly a Marxist or a, a communist in this sense, then what we should be doing is exactly what, you know, Marx and Engels were doing at the time, which was taking believed sentiments and putting them into question. If Marx and Engels had some racist shit to say, we should put it into question and we should say, why is it that they were able to believe this, right? What systems and institutions upheld those sentiments that even true materialists and the, the inventors of Marxism, folks who believed in humanity, would still hold on to some racist and sexist um, beliefs? Like, that, that shit should make us question not those people necessarily. Like, we should condemn those, those st statements and sentiments, and we shouldn't want to echo them ourselves, of course, uh, or allow anyone to. But, like, more than that, it should be us questioning, okay, so then this idea that racism 
is just something that people believe, you know, unto themselves, cannot be true because these two revolutionary communists who believed in, you know, the ending of oppression, who believed in erasing class and hierarchical structures, who believed in communism, how could they have believed racist things unless it was constantly bombarded into their mind, into their, you know, what they saw, their environment, and the societies they were a part of, that even they could not fully escape it, right? And we have to recognize that more than anything, these ideas came from the words of Marx and Engels, but they are not Marx and Engels personified. They are not Marx and Engels in ideas. And therefore, if Marx and Engels believed not so great things, Marx and Engels are not the most important part of Marxism. They are the founders, but more than that, they are simply the conduits by which these ideas got put onto paper, by which these words got spoken and these ideas got brought to the masses. They themselves were the, the people who were given the proper material conditions and, and were able to be educated and be able to see the world for what it truly was and also given the time to educate themselves further on that, do studies on that, talk about that, write about that. I'm sure if everyone was equally as free as Marx and Engels believed they ought to be, then it wouldn't have taken 1,800 or however many years um, to get to those ideas post, you know, uh, written history and shit like that. Um, like, it wouldn't have taken all the way to the 1800s, is what I meant to say. Um, I don't know why I put it the way that I did. But, um, like I said, I'm, I'm having a bowl, so calm down here. <laughs> um, like, it wouldn't have taken to fucking 1845, 1880s, you know, two, depending on what version of the Communist Manifesto you're wanting to read. It wouldn't have taken all the way to 1917 for Lenin and other folks, you know, post then to talk about these ideas. Because these people who live these oppressed lives, the people who are kept illiterate, the people who are kept enslaved, they know these things more than anyone else pointing them out in public can. Marx, Engels, and someone like myself have to educate ourselves on these ideas. We have to educate ourselves and understand these concepts. There are folks who are born into these things, and although I'm not saying that then they can just common sense it through, but they understand these things in a way that privileged folks never can, right? Non-oppressed folks, I guess that's not even the right proper word, but like you wouldn't want someone who is, you know, a, a white man to go to, uh, you know, the government and, and uh, speak on behalf of enslaved African-Americans, right? You would have wanted the enslaved African-Americans to speak for themselves and fight for themselves. But the only thing is, is that obviously they, you know, it's not like they didn't try to do that. They were in a submissive subordinate and oppressed position and that's why it takes folks like Marx and Engels to point out these things for some people to ever recognize it because otherwise they are not privy to those experiences and they are also not privy to any of the voices who have experienced those things and they're certainly not listening to those voices either right 
So although I get it with the whole dead white guy thing, right? It's kind of not really taking in the whole picture. And I think it's intentionally dismissive in a way that uh, a lot of people are really willing to, to do. You know, in many different ways, we are not, you know, necessarily uh, escaping it on the left. A lot of folks just want to dismiss people, right? And I'm not trying to have that conversation of like, we need to hear everybody out. We need to have, you know, our, our ideas shared in the marketplace of ideas. What I'm saying is if I'm coming to you expressing these things, right, and you just don't believe who I, you know, read in order to get to this point, and rather than, you know, having a conversation with me and like working with me or whatever, there's a huge group of people who will just go, oh, he has uh, Stalin, uh, he, he, he's pro-Stalin, or um, he doesn't, he denies this genocide or, you know, oh, he's, he's an anarchist. So he, you know, we don't want to believe that or, you know, fill in the blank, right? Ultimately, what I'm trying to say is that our mission that we're going for has to be one that is connected, right? That is, that is organized and that is, you know, the masses but also the revolutionaries of those masses, all culminating in one force moving against oppression, right? So although it is important, and I talked about this in my last episode, although it is important in a lot of sets to like disseminate between tendencies to kind of, you know, really narrow it down on certain, you know, problems or discussion points, I think ultimately where we are at in America, what we need to be doing most is figuring out how to build parties, figuring out how to build organizations, and figuring out how to build solidarity with every single person that we can, right? And of course, I mean, I hate that I have to explain this shit, but like that doesn't mean like go hang out with fucking like fascists, right? And that doesn't mean, like, go support libertarians or go cheer on conservatives. But what I'm saying is that ultimately our movement is one of the people, right? So if we're not connected with, if we're not organized with, if we're not talking with and working with the very people that we're trying to help, I don't understand how we think that ever our movement will succeed. You know, it's going to be great if we got, say, a million leftists or whatever to stand up and go okay no we we demand that the world changes right a million people can get killed really easily by this country's military right um unfortunately unless we're supported by the other 335 million people in this country to some extent or another uh we're probably either one gonna go to jail two gonna get killed or three, I mean, nothing will happen and we'll get swept under the rug, right? Like, that's what most revolutionary movements throughout history have been. Because I can guarantee you, there is a huge chunk of revolutionary history that has taken place in this country that none of us are taught. None of us are taught this shit in school, right? But... You can read A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. You can read Black Reconstruction, um, 
by W.E.B. Du Bois, right? And you can see the things that have been tried to be done by folks in this country. Those are two just random examples, but you can see movements and, and things that have been tried to be done by the people in this country to improve their material conditions. But ultimately, if you don't have the support of the people, if you don't have the ear of the people, you are, you know, you're stacking the chips really not in your favor. And that's not to say like, okay, guys, until, you know, this isn't some missionary movement where we're like, as soon as every single ear has heard and every single tongue has spoken the word of the Lord, finally, Jesus can come back. No. What we're saying is, honestly, the more people we have on our side, the better the chance is that we can actually help people. Because if we are put in a position where we are constantly fighting battles just to stand still and just to help people, you know, if it's this difficult to build food, food pantries, if it's this difficult to build tenant organizations, if it's this difficult to get a rent moratorium or to get a minimum wage that actually pays people's bills or to get anything that helps people, then we have to understand the only way we can do that is with critical and massive support. We're not asking for any government to pass these laws for us. We're not asking any politician or, or activist to stand up in front of us for us and, and solve the problems, right? What we need to do is we need to encourage, we need to organize, we need to enthuse, we need to put confidence in, and we need to work alongside with the very people we are trying to help. We need to educate them politically and socially and get them to understand what it is that has gotten them in this place. Because there are a lot of fill in the blanks for why am I poor, right? But ultimately, we or why am I oppressed even more so? But ultimately, we have to understand that the only reason that the massive amounts of inequality and oppression exist across the world is because as it stands, we, we live in and our, our country actively supports and advocates for and builds a political, social, and economic system that supports these things, that supports this oppression, that supports these, you know, this poverty, this inequality, and benefits off of it too, you know? So, you know, this is my rant, kind of my point just being that like, Guys, we really need to fucking figure out how to get this shit together because ultimately if we are not one strong front against capitalism, one strong front against oppression, right? We cannot succeed. We can't. We can succeed for the time being, right? You have the Paris Commune, three to four months of, of the, the communards in rule, right? Guess what? They all got fucking massacred women, children, and men were murdered for demanding what we demand today. You have the Russian Revolution, right, which was able to successfully use a vanguard party and, and, and or I guess not technically, um, but was able to meet with the people, organize the peasants alongside with the workers, and also get, you know, the support of the masses to the point that they were able to have a revolution both in February and in October, especially the October one being the true people's revolution, whereas the February one was the bourgeois revolution, right? But you have the true people's revolution of October 1917 in Russia, but the Soviet Union still has collapsed, right? 
And depending on what your your take on China is, we're not even going to get into that. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't have worldwide communism today. And we especially don't have communism in the United States. And if that has to change, then we have to know that there are ways that we can succeed and there are ways that we can fail. History exists as a tool uh, uh, of, you know, of education, of uh, liberation. And it should not be used any longer as a tool of oppression. But that means we have to free history from the hands of those who have been control of it for so long. And we have to give history to the people. And in that, give the people, and that's us as well, right? Us revolutionaries alongside with them. Give us the tool of our own liberation. We need to work to free the people from this oppression, from this inequality. And there are ways that we can do it successfully, and there are ways that we can do it that end with us in, you know, in prison, killed, or fill in the blank. But my final point is this. In America, we really need to get our shit straight. We need to get our head on straight, and we need to begin putting in work. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been a bonus episode from your boy, Josh. Uh, This has been In Defense of Liberation. Uh, Check out my stuffs, and we'll see you next time. Bye.